0: Hello, it is Thursday, September 20th, 2018, at 1 o'clock Eastern time, and this is Marketing Live. I am your host, Amy Jorgensen. Today's live broadcast is texting, why finesse and respect rule the medium. Learn to connect with students naturally and authentically through mastery of the core principles and philosophy of texting. This session focuses on texting as a medium and how to best leverage it for better enrollment results and student outcomes. Marketing Live is part of a Higher Ed Live network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using hashtag HigherEdLive. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at HigherEdLive.com or take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Higher Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. Planning, organizing, and maintaining college and university web content is challenging. Competing priorities, resource limitations, and siloed departments all have the potential to derail content projects. Whether you're preparing for a large-scale website redesign or building a capital campaign microsite, a refreshing a few key pages, you want to get the right content to the right audience on time and on budget. Shannon Lonas, a uh, content strategist for Mstoner, leads content planning and delivering for higher ed websites on September 26th at 12 o'clock PM EDT, 9 AM PDT, hosted by Gather Content. She'll share practical examples and techniques that, y- that you can use to avoid common pitfalls of content delivery for your next project. I would like to welcome Suzanne, Enrollment and Management at Presbyterian College. Welcome Suzanne, we're so excited to have you. Well, thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here with you this afternoon. I look forward to our conversation. Definitely. So, And anyone who's watching, do not hesitate to ask any questions using hashtag higheredlive, and I'll do my best to ask them to Suzanne as they come in. And let's start off with some of the questions of my own. So why is texting such an important platform to connect with students? Well, I think as we've looked at different ways of connecting with students
1: over time, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> I apologize, doesn't that have to happen right now?
0: I know, it's it's because the hurricane's still in the air. <laughs> it
1: is, um, I actually have a number of team members and we're all struggling with something right now. Oh, it's you're gonna world. hold tight. I'm gonna grab a bottle
0: of water yeah, and I'll be definitely. right back with you. It's totally, totally cool, of course. <laughs> so thank you for everyone who is watching we did have to delay this episode from last week because um of the hurricane that of course went through and and um there was no damage luckily at presbyterian college but there was a lot of areas that had uh, struggles so if anyone had any of those struggles we hope that you're safe and everything is good and again anyone who does have any questions just uh send them in right (laughs) hashtag higher ed life. Are you okay Suzanne? Well I'm going to get there and I've
1: had this happen before in a live presentation with parents and students so I have a few tears rolling down my face. I don't know if you can see those or not. One way or another we will get through it. Of course you and I were talking for a few minutes beforehand and I was fine and it just struck me then. But as I was trying to say, back to your question about why this is important, over time and all of the years I've been working in this field, we've looked at different ways of connecting with students and parents and various audiences. And we know that we need to find ways to engage with them that are going to be meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. So if we say we're going to do X, whatever that is, and that doesn't mean anything to the audience, it's not going to be helpful to any of us. It's not going to be helpful to those students in gaining the information that they need to have about an institution nor is it going to be helpful to our institutions in reaching the goals that we have to attain in terms of headcount, net revenue, et cetera, whatever you may be striving for at your institution, what your charge is. So I started experimenting early on with texting, and that was at another institution in 2009. And we were finding good results with it and the way people were beginning to interact with us through text. So we were an early adopter at my previous institution. And um, it was a way of showing students that we were interested in technology and being able to keep up with them
0: in ways that, (coughs) it's getting worse, not better. I'm sorry, but I love that you were a pioneer. You were someone who was diving into something that, you know, other folks oftentimes the technology are so afraid to try something new. So that's that's fantastic. Well, thank
1: you. Yes, that was part of what we wanted to do. So there were a lot of things about the institution that were very traditional. Mm-hmm. So how could we use various technologies in the recruitment process to show that not everything was traditional, that there were progressive elements of the institution that would also translate to how students would engage with faculty, how they would go about learning, what would happen with them in the classroom. And so texting was a fairly new piece. It was an adventure. There were people who were very wary, not necessarily on our campus, but in other areas when I had conversations with them. And so it worked well. And so transition forward to two thousand. (coughs) I promise we are going to get through this one way or another, 2016 when I was coming into Presbyterian College and they were already texting with students Mm -hmm. and asked them questions about the platform they were using and their level of satisfaction, how it was Mm -hmm. working for them. I said, I have another platform I want you to try. So we set up a demonstration for them because I didn't want to walk into an institution and simply say, okay, I'm lifting this from my prior institution and we're placing it here. Let's see if it works correctly for the people and what their expectations are. So they went through the demo, saw the features and decided that they were ready to make that shift to something that was going to give them additional options to communicate with students in ways that would seem more human and more relevant. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about why we first got into it the results have continued to grow over time. So it's not just texting for the sake of texting. Mm -hmm. It's texting because we see it being highly predictive. It is continuing to use it because we see it working. We see students engaging in two-way communication with us. So Mm -hmm. ultimately we get to have a dialogue with somebody through text. And many times this happens at a much higher response rate than you would get through email or through some other means. I love that. It's not abandoning something else in favor of text. I think it's having the right communication mix so that you're able to interact with the students you're most interested in influencing regarding your institution and hoping you convince them that that should be their school of choice.
0: Well, and I think you're right on. This is a technology that they're using all the time. I mean, my goodness, if you try to call or email one of my brothers that are... (laughs) You know, in early college, you're not going to get anything if you leave a voicemail. Oh, I hate voicemails. Texting is the way to go. And being able to have that dialogue is so incredibly valuable because you don't get that over email. It's, it's oftentimes very, way, very much a one-way communication. So let's talk a little bit about the platform. How did your team go about finding that platform to text your students? What platform are you using? What ones have you tested out? And what are some of the features that you like?
1: Well, I wanna be very careful because there are platforms that are going to be right for various institutions, but we started in 2009 because of my long time relationship with Dave Marshall, who is the founder of Mongoose. And he and I had worked together on other web development projects. And I really trusted his view of technology, his experience in the industry. And he came to me and said, I've had this work in a professional sporting environment, I think there's an application in higher education. Brilliant. Let's talk about this more and see what we would be able to do. And so initially, I wasn't out there scouting various firms. It was really because of the trust and belief I had in somebody's proven track record of developing technology to deploy within higher education, specifically in the enrollment management area. And so there was another firm, as I mentioned, that had been in use by Presbyterian College when I came. I'm gonna say it would look more like what you would see if you were getting uh, emergency notifications from a college, probably coming from a short code. It might have been very um, curt in the way the text was set up. You might have the old stop to end or press Y to, reply. There's nothing personal or human in that. Mm -hmm. So it was because of that prior relationship and the success I had had at my previous institution that when we came time to do a demo here looking for an alternate product, we weren't again scouring the marketplace to see how many different firms were available. We went with Mongoose and have been extremely happy with their Cadence product. Uh, As I've had opportunities to present with Dave before, we always want to be cautious not to make it a commercial for his for his organization
0: but to talk about how to use the medium for best results no, and that's really important. And you are I love that you were able to look at something that was popular in another industry and bring it over. And this is going to sound crazy, but my dentist here in Charlottesville is fantastic. And before I have my appointment a week ahead of time, I get a text message of like, hey, reminder, you still have this dental appointment. And then the day of I get a text message of this is happening in two hours, just a reminder. And then afterwards, I get, how was your dental appointment? You know, let us know we're, we're here to help you. And I'm like, this is phenomenal. Because honestly, there's been times where I'm like, Oh, God, do I do I when is that appointment? And I just know they're taking care of it. And it's establishing a relationship. And it's just automatic. It's it's so brilliant that you've taken something from the you've seen successful elsewhere and bring it over.
1: Yes, I was very, very happy with the results. And I think we'll talk more about that. But the, the data speak for themselves. So we can say, yes, it's easy to use. And I think there's an important part of that because when you're talking about efficiency for you, we want to think about what, what does the market expect? And so back in 2009, if you go back to some of the old ruffalo no levitts data yeah. on e-expectations and look at how many students were willing to get text messages from colleges and universities then versus how many are now willing to get college and universities as a text message sender to them? That the world has changed across that span of years. And there's still an opportunity gap because the percentage of students who say they're willing, but yet they're not yet receiving messages from colleges and universities, Mm. that gap still exists. And so for Schools that are willing to take this on and to communicate with students in a way that's meaningful to them, I think can be an important opportunity. When we think about the students and how they wanna receive information, that's one thing, but we also want our staff to be able to use their time and efforts extremely efficiently. Mm -hmm. And so they can manage this from any device. They don't have to be tied to their computers. They're not giving out their personal cell phone number. They have quick and easy responses and they're engaged with these students. It has become a meaningful resource for them and they would much prefer to do this rather than having to take, let's say, a long phone call list, Yeah, (laughs) go through that phone call list and try to reach those students and get voicemail after voicemail box after voicemail box. So as an example of how they might use it, when we wanna set up phone calls to follow up on financial aid awards, could sit in your office and call people now maybe you're going to get somebody but if you do what are the chances that they're sitting there ready with their financial aid package at that point in time and ready to discuss it do they have questions available so instead we can text them and say you should have just received your financial aid award we'd love to go over it with you what's a good time and we get students to respond that way they set up appointments in advance and everyone goes in prepared so we're using people's time more efficiently, staff member's time, as well as the prospective student time.
0: That's brilliant. So you schedule the, do you schedule the appointments through text as well?
1: Uh, well, the, the counselors will communicate with the students and yes, then they'll set up their own individual schedules to follow up with the people in their markets.
0: That is brilliant. So how often do you text your students?
1: it really varies. And so I hate giving an it depends sort of response. And I was actually talking with our director of admission and our director of enrollment marketing prior to this call today. And they each looked at me and said, Well, it depends, we don't want to bombard people by any means. And I think if we're looking initially at a couple of times a month, that might be a starting point. But it's going to depend on where somebody is in the funnel and then what's happening with them individually in their decision process and the relationship that they have with their counselor. So it's not something where we want it to become so frequent that people begin to ignore it, but if you have somebody opt in for text and Mm -hmm. then you don't send messages or maybe you only send once a month,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm wondering if they're going to remember that. So it's a fine balance and I think you have to look at your institution the, the market you're working with and then the individual student level and that student's relationship with their admission counselor.
0: And that's a really good point because it's relationship building with your customer. I mean, you don't want it to just have it be really, you know, forced or awkward and, you know, I haven't talked to you in three weeks and how's it going? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so You want to be able to cultivate that. So what are some of the best practices when, it, when we need to consider when texting? Well, certainly we want to be
1: thinking about how the students are going to take in the information so that it seems extremely personal to them. Mm-hmm. So if you are just entering something, let's say that you're going to text somebody who is still an in inquiry, so they haven't yet applied to the institution, but they're in your market, maybe you've met them at a college fair or somewhere else. I think it's appropriate to start in a very personal way with, you know, hi, this is Suzanne Petruche from PC we talked at your high school last week, and you said you were going to start the application. Quick reminder that the deadline is in three days. Let me know if you have questions. So who you are, what the institution is, short, simple, maybe you wanna find out something about them. It depends on whether or not you're ready to ask a question and the nature of those conversations is going to change when you get to know that student better and they advance through the funnel. It might be something that's much more quick and rapid fire, especially if you're in a one-to-one exchange then, rather than having a group message about a reminder, let's say for an upcoming open house or a scholarship deadline or some other key point in time. So those reminders can go out to large groups and you don't necessarily have to be concerned with handling a response. But if you want to trigger that two-way communication, certainly asking a question may seem very obvious, but that's a great way to do it. And then you need to be prepared that you're going to respond to that. We've seen students who will respond immediately. There are other students who might take a day or two, or they pick back up on a thread later Mm. and they might ask a question about something entirely different or want to start into a different pathway. But in the platform, The counselor has the history, so it's not a surprise to that counselor what that student is asking. And of course then we can track and measure all of these data points that help us understand who who the audience is, what their level of interest is with the institution. It's actually become more predictive for us than campus visits. But a response rate with text might vary for us between 50 and 90%. I can't think of any email we've ever sent out that would have attained a fifty to ninety percent response rate from students.
0: Yeah, that's extraordinary. And I mean, what also a brilliant idea to be able to like as you're talking about, you know, them being able to communicate back with you. Back in two thousand and nine, I think I was still on a pay per text model. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, it doesn't cost them anything extra, of course. And if they're on a campus visit, they might be encouraged by some of their family members or friends to go. Whereas if it's through a text message, you know it's them and you know their interest. That's brilliant. Well,
1: when you say about the pay per text, that was one of the things we were really careful with back then too, to make sure that as we were collecting opt-ins from students, that we also had a disclaimer that text messaging rates may apply it would depend upon what your carrier is and your plan. I think it's much more ubiquitous now and that's not the concern that it was, but it was definitely something that we had to wrestle with in 2009 as we thought about, okay, we wanna do something that makes it easier for people. Is there any potential burden that we're putting on the prospective student? And yes, for some students it might've been because of text. but if you look at data from, various outside organizations, even outside of higher ed, and think about what behavior is. And I'm talking right now predominantly about traditional students coming out of high school, but certainly there are applications where this can be meaningful for other audiences. But look at the number of text messages those students send per day on average. It's unreal.
0: It's got to be hundreds.
1: I mean, seriously, I, sounds Beyond. Crazy,
0: but it's got to be hundreds. Beyond. And, really? And-
1: And and I don't remember the figure, I didn't look it up before today, but the average number of text messages is is just something that you and I might not have imagined happening. But these, think about it, they might be sending a quick emoji, they might be sending just the letter K, it could be a a whole language (laughs) going on that's not, you know, are you thinking about coming to our open house on this coming Saturday? (laughs) We'd be happy to greet your family and by the way, here's a link to the the map and you drop in a pin for the map so they know exactly where to park for the event. Those aren't the types of conversations that those students
0: are necessarily having with their friends. That's true. So have you ever had someone respond with an emoji?
1: Yes. Sometimes students do respond with emojis and we think it's okay for counselors to do the same, not to get too carried away with it. And I certainly (laughs) wouldn't have an entire conversation made up with emojis, but uh, this whole idea of being human when you're texting I think is so critical to making this work for you and for your institution. And so if somebody's really excited, let's say about an award they just won at school and they're telling you about that or maybe it's their acceptance or a scholarship offer from your institution and they write to you and they have an emoji in it or a smiley face, I think it's fine for you to use that or the exploding confetti, something that's appropriately celebratory. So Yes, you can be real and you can use emojis as part
0: of texting, even as a representative of a college or university. I love it, you gotta be authentic, that's so true. So we have a great question from Kylie Witt. How are you collecting your opt-ins? Do you have a CRM?
1: Well, we do have a CRM and I'm very happy to say that we are now live on Slate for our inquiries. When I came to the institution, We had a homegrown system that was built within our banner ERP, and there were elements of it that were surprisingly sophisticated, but as you can imagine, there are also many limitations with a homegrown CRM. So we have been using one throughout a number of years, but it's a whole different world now with Slate, and I'm a a huge fan, and I know that's a different topic for a different day, (laughs) but, We collect the opt-in through a variety of mechanisms. So even going back to something old-fashioned, when you have the inquiry card, the hard copy card that you have with you at a college fair, there is an opt-in there. There is an opt-in on the request for information form on the web. There is an opt-in question on the application. Almost everywhere that we can put that question, it exists. And we also make sure that when we have our counselor information on the website, they are having multiple ways through which students can communicate with them. So there's a link to email them, but there's also the text option. And the phone number that we've listed for their counselor is their text phone number. And it appears just as a regular uh, number for,
0: for the students who are using it. That's really smart. So. What kind of content specifically are you sending the students? I know you've given us a couple of ideas, but could you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: So <clears throat> I think it's going to depend upon the type, time of year. So we mentioned special events. We have mentioned deadlines. Mm-hmm. We might look at the high school visit, since I think right now when I would walk down the hall, many of the doors are closed because our staff members are out on the road at this time. So getting in touch with students to let them know that they're going to be at the high school or at a college fair, or if we're doing something special in the area, such as a visit at a coffee shop, inviting them to attend that. We talked about the follow up to the financial aid awards. We ask students questions at various times, if we wanna gauge interest in a particular program, or last year we launched a strategic plan, there could be something about that. Again, it's not everything that's happening every day because we want to keep this something where that response rate is going to stay in that very high range of 50 to 90%. If we were to suddenly see that drop, then I think we would have to reconsider it, the types of messages that we're sending to students. So many of those things are on a group or small group basis. But individual counselors are keeping track of the students they're meeting in their markets. And so as they note something special about a person, they could be sending an individual message to that person to, again, follow up on a competition or some major event that the student has let them know that they're having.
0: So the when you send out, is it a lot of mass messages because you're expecting people to respond back to you? So are you kind of like pacing these out and say, okay, we're going to send out a hundred right now and you know, 50 here and a hundred here. And then of course have the ones from the individual counselors or how do you space it out? So if you do get responses, you can talk back to them <laughs> and you're not like, oh my God, I've just gotten 700 responses.
1: So There is a texting calendar, just as you would have a social media calendar and an email calendar and a print calendar. And we need to see where all of those things potentially overlap so that you're not bombarding somebody with four messages on a single day. Uh, We try to prevent that to every extent. Now, if there's an individual exchange and a student is writing to a counselor, by all means, the expectation is that the counselor is going to respond to the student and have that conversation. The student is clearly asking for that conversation. Uh, But I think that the calendar piece is important and it's based upon what's happening within our funnel calendar and where we are with special events and other timeline pieces. Mm -hmm. in there could be a a specific query. So maybe there's something that we're sending to everybody who opted in. That's going to go out though, looking like it's come from their individual counselor. It doesn't look like it's just come from the institution that keeps it personal and meaningful and it gives them a way to write back to it. If you're going to send something and I realize that you've worked at large institutions and I've heard this question before, Well, if you're going to send something to a large group and you're working in a large institution, you're afraid how you're going to handle that volume, think carefully about how you craft the message because we've been talking about when and what types of messages, but we haven't really touched yet on the importance of crafting those messages well. And we can come back to that in a second. But if you craft the message in such a way that it's giving information and not necessarily trying to elicit a response from the student, you'll probably be able to manage that. If there's something where you are intentionally trying to get a response, then think carefully about that initial query. Who's your audience? If you can refine your audience and tailor that much more, then you're probably going to have that manageable group that you can handle as well. And you write it in such a way that it's obvious that you're expecting a response from the student.
0: So would that so something you would not expect a response from, but still is personalized of like, hey, I thought you might like these pictures from homecoming from this past weekend. Mm-hmm. You're not expecting to respond back to you, but it's still something you could potentially get engagement from, is that kind of the? It's still something you could get engagement from,
1: exactly. And so we can keep track in, in the system of how many messages have not been responded to yet, because people are traveling, people need to take vacation time. Um, as, as I demonstrated earlier, um, people become ill. <laughs> this is my first, first day back on campus after several days out. Uh, so if somebody's going to be away, we can set a caretaker. Mm-hmm. And so those students aren't just going into the abyss during the time that their counselor is unable to respond to them, somebody else can respond on that counselor's behalf. So that's a very nice feature that's within the tool that we're using
0: and like you said they can have notes in there they have notes in the crm of what's happening and like that's that's brilliant so let's dive a little bit more into what you teased before of like kind of how you're developing some of those messages you know do you develop tone and language guidelines do you like what are some of the best practices when when it comes to messaging and cultivating a message so sometimes there are examples
1: that You might see that are not necessarily going to go over well. And we can share some of those and I can direct you to appropriate resources going to the Mongoose site as well. But if it's coming out in a very cold way and scholarship deadline tomorrow, Mm -hmm. do you intend to apply? And just really (laughs) cold and harsh, that's not good. So you probably wouldn't let every one of your team write their own brochures, right? So there are templates that can be developed and used as guidelines. So especially if you're sending large group messages, those templates are coming from a central location, somebody with expertise in marketing and crafting um, short messages that are to the point but still lighthearted, meaningful. So I don't want, I because I, I don't want to make anyone feel bad, I don't want to say too many examples of bad messages. I think we can create what some of those would be. The good messages are much more um, personal, they're light, they ask for that response when you're able to handle that in a group and it's seen as something that's very personal, it's not cold and it's not machine-like. So some of what we had talked about in a presentation recently was what things are best done by a machine. And so you can have those types of announcements, but when you want that uh, real level of authenticity, as you mentioned, it can be from the person. And so if you have somebody, whether it's within your enrollment team or in your central marketing area, who can work with you on developing a template of messages and then provide some guidance to the individual counselors. Now, obviously you give great training to people, you trust them, you want them to be able, and you can't stand there at a college fair with them, so how are they going to talk about your institution at that college fair? I think you have the same level of expectations regarding text and how they're going to conduct those types of conversations. But providing guidelines is key. And you can see that variation in the response rates. And this is something that the Mongoose team members have shared with us as we've talked at, at various conferences. If you're looking at individual response rates and there are some that are not as high as what you would expect, then go in and look at the types of messages that those people are sending out. You may, in fact, find that they are not following that template. So let. Let people who are expert in copywriting give you the guidance there, and make sure that you're going to get the results that you want.
0: Oh, amen! I, and I love that you brought that up. And it's it's hard to provide direct examples, but I know in every position I've had, it's especially in higher ed, it is so difficult to write marketing if you're in higher ed because people want to write these long dissertations, and these long. It's like if you have an email and it's longer than two paragraphs no one's going to read it. No one wants to have to go through all that. So the more succinct and direct you can be, but at the same time you have to be warm and you have to be inviting and, and you know authentic. So it's like you can't be robotic, but you know there's a scholarship coming up this weekend. Are you interested? Comes over a lot better than there's a scholarship this weekend and it was developed by this foundation and da da da. da, da, da. You know, so you have to um, being able to have those templates I think is so key. That's such a good idea.
1: Well, you you made me think of experiences that I've had with faculty members over the years. And maybe we had a letter that would go out under the faculty member's name. And then this goes back to even when we wanted to adapt it for email, Mm -hmm. and they would give you back this letter and say, OK, this is my email. (laughs) No, 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 this is not the email that you're going to send out. It's a a different skill set that's required. And you have to think about the medium that you're using
0: and what's the appropriate language and tone for that medium. Mm -hmm. I think you're exactly right. We have another question from Kylie. Um, Kylie, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name there. Have you used any A and B testing for texting to determine message effectiveness? If so, what kind of results did you find?
1: I would say that we have not been that deliberate in doing the the A, B testing for the text messages. It hasn't necessarily been something where we've split a group and tried to message one way with half the group and another way, and then to see how those results go. We've been more along the lines of watching individual messages and the response rates and then adjusting as we go throughout the year. I think A-B testing is great. And if you have the the time and the team resources to be able to do that, it would be wonderful.
0: I found with A-B testing with emails that oftentimes it gives me Uh, insight to a very specific thing. So, for example, if I'm sending out an email about a job fair, people are more likely to respond if it has their major in the subject line instead of all UVA students, uh, you know, interested in this industry. So, it may be more effective than industry, but it's it's hard to generalize sometimes with that because often it's also unique within the major versus the industry. So, it's you know, some some industries are some students who are interested in certain industries are more likely to respond than others. Pretend, you know, the drama students are more likely to to email email back versus some of the what I would consider more introverted groups like some of the tech students but it's totally like it's it's variable and very specific to each one of those
1: Yes. Well, when we're talking about in a marketing conversation, and I'm saying that we're not doing A-B testing, that makes me a little bit nervous, but it's more watching the individual messages and the responses and adjusting accordingly as we go forward. Because if a response rate's falling below what our average is, well, why was that? Is it something in how we crafted the message? Was it the audience we selected for it? So we continue to, to massage and refine this as we go along.
0: That's a good point. And I think a lot of us need to do that more with all of our different avenues. You know, are we really looking at as much as we should at each of the social media messages? Are we really looking as much as we should at, at some of the marketing content on on websites or on, you know, all of those different variables? So, yes, I love that you do that. So uh, speaking a little bit of analytics, what is the best time to email the students? So if you're, you're looking at this time of the year. Uh, do you message them while they're in school? Do you message them outside of school? Do you do you message them on the weekends?
1: So I'm going like, to go back, back to it? my right my favorite it depends answer from earlier, and we had this conversation out in the hallway uh, shortly before starting this session. So if we're trying to do something very specific, such as receive a document that hasn't come to us yet we will message the students during the school day. So I feel like a little bit of a bad influence with this, right? Because maybe they're not supposed to have their phones in school. And here we are messaging them during the day, but they respond. So we're just going to pretend that maybe it's on the break between classes yeah. or at lunchtime, but they do tend to respond and we get the documents that we need. So they clearly are going to their counselor and talking to somebody and having something sent to us, so it's getting the appropriate result that we need. Now, if it's something different, we might choose the late afternoon or early evening hours, especially if it's something that we're hoping that the student might share with his or her parent. So -hmm. they could be sitting at home, they get the text from us, they show it to the parent, they respond to us. And again, because it's easy for our counselors to do this on their phones, they're not having to log in to the the computer, they don't have to be sitting at their desk to do it, it's pretty quick for them to send a response back to the students. So we haven't found an undue burden on the staff with those hours. And so I think you need to consider what your objective is with any particular text, and if it's something where let's say you are trying to bring in some documents that haven't been received by the institution, try the daytime. It just might work.
0: That's really clever. So Do you message the parents as well?
1: In some cases we do. There are parents who will put in their email, or excuse me, their phone number. We get the parent email too. We ask for all of this parent contact information. Sometimes we know it's the parent and sometimes we suspect it's the parent because that might just be the phone number that the student is using on his or her materials. But I think it's perfectly appropriate to have a series of messages that can go to parents as well. Think about parents in your communication plan, whether it's print, email, text, are there any other avenues through which you're trying to reach parents and make sure that their questions are answered. I had a mother the other year who had been the one to sign up, but it was under her son's name and we sent something about the admission decision Mm -hmm. and she was so excited and she shared the text with him and he didn't believe that it was real. He said, mom, you're pulling a joke on me. And she said, no, I'm serious. So I, I only knew that we were using the parent mm. phone number on that one because she told me when they were on campus that she was so excited to read it first to share it with her son, but he, he wasn't so sure that the information coming from her was true. He thought he was, she was just trying to pull a practical joke on him.
0: That's so sweet. <laughs> but a good practical joke, you got into college. <laughs> yes, exactly. Good, good, good message. So we have another question from online. Um, do your counselors that have university issued phones or is the texting done via an app that they access on their phones? Is there a, a phone connectivity component where they can use their their mobile devices?
1: So they do use their mobile devices, but these are their personal mobile devices. They're not Uh, college-issued mobile devices and they still have their own personal phone number. That phone number though is protected. That's not the one that they're giving out to students. It is this alias phone number that they're using through the system, that they're able to do it. So just as you would get a text from a friend, they get a text response on there. They can also log into the back end of the system and track a whole series of messages, etc. But we have not had any pushback from counselors because would they be carrying a college phone and a personal phone? It's all on one device. It's easy and convenient for them.
0: Oh my goodness. If, If you end up having to carry, you know, I have, uh, my brother-in-law does. He has, has two different phones, two different laptops. Two di- I'm like, oh my goodness, that would just give me such a headache. <laughs> At a certain point, it's like, okay, just keep it simple. Um, so, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen people, other schools or other groups, make with texting? Or, you know, maybe it was a sporting event, like you said before. So, what are some of the biggest things that you talked a little bit about the robot language, which I think is brilliant. Not you know building a, a personal relationship and being authentic those are really good points mm-hmm. what are some other things that we can make sure that we're avoiding
1: so i, I think the biggest one that is my fear because i talked about right a, a message going out regarding somebody's admission decision is making sure that you're doing your queries appropriately because we hear every year about a school that has released a set of email messages or now it could be text messages to a group of students saying you're admitted to the institution, but the query wasn't right. So Um, your your query syntax, and it's very easy to use the system I'm talking about, and I would think most others would be easy, but make sure that your query syntax is correct because you don't want to be in that seat of having to figure out how you're going to deal with 700 or 7,000 people who received something that they shouldn't have received from the institution. So that's the thing that causes me, you know, the greatest amount of trepidation over this. But those are, those are probably few and far between. But they're the ones that get the greatest amount of attention. Oh yeah. And you had talked about the type of language. We've talked before about the uh, opt-in and Opt-in really depends on where you are in a stage of somebody looking at your institution. I highly recommend getting the opt-in at the inquiry stage. And if you can get it at the applicant stage, great. Once they've been admitted or they've deposited to the institution, you have some more leeway with that. Uh, There is nothing in here that is out of alignment with FERPA Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information about the Telephone um, Consumer Protection Act, the TCPA. You can go on to the Mongo site and look for resources regarding TCPA. We are a nonprofit entity giving information to students, but we try to be you know, tight with that at the beginning. And as they've become more connected to the institution, again, you have a little bit more leeway with that. Uh, Now you want to watch what's going on if you're recruiting a lot of students from Europe uh, with how you're considering those data. So look at the various guidelines, but don't let the guidelines be something that would prevent you from using text as a means of communicating with prospective students. I also think if you do ask that question in the text and students are going to respond to you, be prepared to respond to them. Because if you ask questions, and they write to you and you don't respond, then you've just left them hanging and wondering, am I important to this institution or not? So some of that's just very obvious, but think about the etiquette behind this because there is an etiquette to it. And at one point, I've referenced Dave Marshall several times, we talked about the close talker. So for (laughs) anybody who ever watched Seinfeld, think about this in (laughs) some other way, You can be the close talker through text. (laughs) Don't be that person. Be appropriately respectful that this is an appendage for the student. They do carry it all the time, but that doesn't mean they want to hear from you all the time or or in a way
0: that's screaming at them. Okay, so one, we have to give you so many bonus points for the best reference I think I've ever had on Higher Ed Live, the close talker. What a perfect example of like, okay, avoid this. And also you were talking about the appendage. I think you're right on. I mean, you're looking at a device that, oh, my sister found out the stat where it's something like 90% of the time, your phone is within three feet of you. Mm -hmm. You know, people sleep with it. I do right next to my bed. You know, I use it as my alarm. You know, it's, it's, it's totally attached to us. So it is, it can be such a powerful device if we're using it correctly. Um, and you talked about 50 to 60, or 50 to 90% um, uh, engagement rates. That's phenomenal. So that's really, really special. Thank you so much, Suzanne. This is wonderful. Are there any last tips you have for us before we go? Well, you mentioned that engagement rate, but I would also leave
1: you with, you know, in terms of yield, because in the end, you can have all of this engagement with the people who are interested in your institution or admitted to your institution, but you have to enroll that group. So we had a 43% higher yield rate for students who texted versus students who did not text. So I talked about the predictive nature of this earlier. I think that's an important piece. And then for the students who were enrolling at the institution, nearly 70% of them responded at least 3 or more times. So we watched the number of times the student would write back to us. So we've talked more about you know what types of messages and when you might send messages, but I never want to let this go without talking about we see it working. So it's one thing to to invest in something just to say, "Oh, you know, if everybody else is doing it, we have to do it too." Well, if it doesn't work for you, don't do it this has the the proven stats behind it to show that it's been very effective for my institution and for other institutions as a way of building relationships with students.
0: Oh, that is brilliant. Thank you so much, Suzanne. This was absolutely wonderful and you were so interesting and I love all of your examples. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I enjoyed talking
1: with you and my apologies again to you and to everybody else for my coughing spell at the beginning, but I'm glad we got through that, and we were able to carry on the conversation.
0: I think we're all family. You know, it happens. It's it's the seasons. <laughs> no worries at all. And I'd like to also thank you to our program Stoner M Stone, uh, program sponsor M Stoner. And I would like to tell everyone to have a great day. <laughs>